Hello. Hello. Ahoy. Uh, ahoy. <laughs> All right. I like it. It's my uh, maritime greeting for today. <laughs> uh, Mariner Stacy. Stacy gonna... the sailor. That was my nickname in high school. Uh, I thought it might be. <laughs> I was just going to say that we're running late, but they don't know that on the podcast, so we are they right do on. Now. We are right on time. All yeah. right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so we're just sitting here waiting on go. Oh, uh, see, I knew you'd find a way to yeah. work that all together. So uh, we are officially we've officially started an acts. Um, last week was kind of a. a underlying uh, or or all-encompassing uh, intro to what we're going to be doing here in this next sermon series and so we finally got into it this this last week um, and if you hadn't guessed it the sermon title was waiting on go yeah so uh, do you want to give a little quick They'll summary probably see to start that on the title of the post when so you will know that I'm just full of something brilliant yeah okay so do you want to give a little quick summary about what we're talking about today? well yeah basically as we're working through uh, chapter one we're looking we're focusing in on the second half of, of chapter one, but the first half of chapter one, the first eleven verses, uh, is really the. Uh, I think one one commentator uh, labeled it the the post resurrection ministry of Christ. So it talks about the fact that Jesus uh, appeared to them and uh, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, and then he gave them instructions before he was taken up into heaven. So then, <clears throat> after he tells them. Wait here in Jerusalem. Wait until uh, you you receive the power from on high. You will receive power. God's not going to tell you the timeline of when he's going to bring the consummation. But in the meantime, you're going to receive power. And this power will happen when the Holy Spirit comes on you, when he when He baptizes you. You're, mm-hmm. you're being immersed by John in water to, to show repentance. But what's about to happen is you're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. So that power then will enable you to be my witnesses throughout throughout the earth, starting here in Jerusalem, spreading out into the community, and then to the ends of the earth. So the response then, starting in verse 12, is really what we focused on Sunday. <clears throat> so um, the core reality that we looked at was that those who grasp the reality of Christ are eager to live for him. And we kind of see that, uh, and I kind of had my moment of true confessions uh during the sermon that this was a passage that for most of my life I just kind of, you know, glossed over. Mm-hmm. You know, you read it, you don't ignore it, but it just didn't seem like it, it mattered. Out, you know, right? so what do I care about Matthias? We don't really see him again. You know, he, we know he's here, he's added to their number. Never really quite understood why. It just didn't, none of it really made sense to me. So I blew it off and moved on. And we have a tendency to do that with different parts of, of the scripture. The, you know, if we're talking about uh, various details of the law in the Old Testament, well, that doesn't apply to us the anymore. Why do we hard care? for me to get through sometimes. <clears throat> like you were saying the other day, uh, on Sunday, all the lineage. And right, you see like these that. genealogies, these begats, and, and so on and so forth. Why in the world do we care about this? That some dude it's I don't know It's not just like Steve had this guy. And so it's like names that are like... Yeah. And, uh, so there's a lot of stuff that can feel weird can feel dry and i think most importantly it can feel pointless Mm -hmm. but it isn't it isn't every word of scripture according to what paul writes to timothy every word of it every little jot and tittle as jesus said every tiny piece of punctuation was inspired by god it's useful it has a purpose and it won't return void is what the the old testament prophet says it's not coming back without doing what it was sent forth to do 
So whether we're talking about the begats, all these genealogies, or we're talking about the, the replacing of Judas in the Twelve, there's a reason that it's included in the story. And so when we find things like that, rather than blowing it off, that's when we need to kind of dig down a little bit. Let's see, what, what can we find in this that answers the question of why, why it's in the story to begin with? Why is, it th- why is it present, and why is it present here? What is it that we would be missing about Christ or about what God is doing if we didn't have this here? And so as we look at, at this a little more deeply and, and sort of observe what happens, it's, it's a direct response to what we see in the first 11 verses. So as Jesus gives them commands, he leaves them with a promise of the Holy Spirit and a job of, of being his witnesses uh, in the earth. After he said this, verse 9 of chapter 1, uh, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from the, from their sight. That's not insignificant, just the fact that he was taken up before their eyes. They're actually watching this. It's not like, you know, we turn around and, oh, he's gone, you know, and, and that happens. But there are a couple of times, Luke said this in chapter 24 of his gospel, when he's eating dinner with these disciples in Emmaus, and he's sharing, he's breaking bread with them, he's sharing the gospel with them, they get it. And then he disappears right before their eyes. Well, here they're watching him ascend into heaven. And as they're doing this, uh, verse 10 says, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. We understand that to be angels. Men of Galilee, they said. Interestingly, they're not in Galilee. They're at the Mount of Olives near Bethany somewhere. Um, So, you know, up by Jerusalem, not in Galilee, not close to Galilee, but the angel knows who they are. These are men from the, from that area, the region of Galilee. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So we see, we're going to see this again in chapter 2, that there's a constant awareness of Christ's return. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he preaches throughout Luke, he, Luke does not leave out the details of Jesus preaching that the king will come back. The king is off in a foreign land or in a far-off country receiving the crown that... that um, is do him so he leaves his servants behind to do work and don't be slack when he comes back don't don't lose your your zeal or your fervor keep serving the lord <clears throat> so then here uh right out of the gate here this angel says to him you're you're staring at him leaving but he's coming back and he's going to come back just like this so uh then when they move on so it's there it's present this eschatological perspective is it is woven throughout the entire new testament but right away i think that's my phone dinging so <laughs> right away we see in verse 12 um, after the angel says this then they returned to jerusalem from the hill called the mount of olives a sabbath day's walk from the city when they arrived they went upstairs to the room where they were staying uh, so they apparently have a rented room. Perhaps it's the same as where they had the Last Supper. Perhaps it's a different one, but it's this upstairs room. All the 11 were there along with the, um, the, the other believers who had gathered with them, uh, about 120 altogether. Uh, so they have women mixed in the group as well, including Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And, uh, and then Peter stands up and he says, we need to replace Judas. We need to have this, uh, this position filled why and, and that's really what we want to take a look at why, why is he saying this well he's responding to what jesus said jesus said go to jerusalem wait for the power when the holy spirit comes you're going to be my witnesses so the response is hey let's go get ready 
Let's get together. They're constantly in prayer, it tells us. So as we're praying, Peter stands up and says, hey, we got a job to do. Let's get ready. Let's get this guy uh, in place. So then they uh, cast lots and, and pray and choose between uh, Joseph and Matthias, and Matthias is chosen. But, but what we want to really see here is that all of this, all of what happens here from 12 to the end of the chapter is the response to believing Christ. They get it. They didn't always get it throughout the, the earthly ministry of the Lord. Now that he's gone and they've seen all this, they've seen too much, they, they know too much not to be changed by it. Right. So because they really grasp the reality of Christ, they're eager to, to do something about it. Because that. this is all before the um, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They're right. they're preparing for that. So they don't they haven't received that power yet. They are just responding to what they've been told to do. Right. Yeah. So that as they're as they're um, because they have no responding doubt that this is going to happen. And, and you know, as you say that, that's a pretty important point. That I probably should have brought more out of that on Sunday. Well, now you have the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, so often we wait for God to do something in us, for God to change us. We're gonna, you know, we're waiting for this power. But in the meantime, if we want to see change, if we want to be prepared for the Holy Spirit to do in us what he's planning to do in us, we have to obey. We have right. to actually move. We have to actually work. And, you better work. And clearly, you know, this everything that we do involves the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit hadn't come in this unique way to right. dwell in them. Right. They didn't have some magic touch from the Holy Spirit. But they didn't have a doubt that it was going to because Absolutely. he said it's going That's to. That's the key. Right. Is they trusted Jesus. Right. They understood the reality of Christ. And because they grasped that, then the logical thing is I need to live for him. I need to respond. Jesus said this is going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah, I'm going to act as if he's telling the truth before I see this come to pass mm -hmm. because I know who he is. I know that he doesn't lie. And when he makes a promise, he keeps a promise. We've you know, seen this developed over and over in Luke's gospel. Well, now that's the springboard from mm -hmm. which the rest of this flows. So before the Holy Spirit comes, you know, and we see in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, you know, we might say he touches them. He floods the room, right? He fills the atmosphere. There's a, a sound that they hear that, that reminds them of a rushing wind. There's this visual appearance, something that uh, kind of separates and settles on top of them uh, as if it were flames of fire. And then they begin to speak in languages that are not their own. We'll talk about that stuff next week. But none of that stuff has happened. There is no magic formula where they pray and suddenly God just makes it all easy. Right. They pray and God convicts them. God convinces them, you need to do something. So because of their belief, they show that belief, they show the change by action. And the action is, let's get ready. He said to wait, we're going to Jerusalem. As soon as they get done, the angel said he's coming back. All right, guys, pack it up. We're heading, we're heading into town. He said, wait in Jerusalem. We're going to go wait in Jerusalem. So we're not told exactly uh, you know, how long this conversation was or, or what all was said. But we know that right away, as soon as this happens, their response is, we're going to do what he said. If more of us today would spend less time praying for magical changes in our lives and more time trusting and obeying not that doesn't mean you feel it all the time you got to believe there was a lot of opportunity in these things for them to be mortified with fear for them to be overcome almost 
uh, because things are so hard. They're being beaten, thrown in jail. The emotion, they're, they're watching their friends be persecuted and die even. The emotions have to be running at 100. And yet they don't waver. They believe, so they act. They believe, so they preach. They believe, so they pray. They don't stop. They don't stumble. They, you know, There are lots of times throughout the book of Acts that we'll see them stumble and fail. But they don't, they don't stay there. They don't give up. They keep on going, trusting that God's going to do what he set forth to do. That, like Paul said in Philippians 1.6, that the one who started this is going to finish it. He'll be faithful. And it won't come to a place where it's too big for God. It might feel too big for me, but that's when we see God work. And so I think that's a good observation that, that you made that uh, I think it, I'm sure we probably just mentioned it going past it. But that's actually really significant, that they obeyed before the Spirit was poured out on them, mm-hmm. before they had this this new uh, imbuing of power that that hadn't come yet. Now it's just a matter of you don't have power. You really don't in the same way. Obey anyway. And so they did. It's interesting to think of, you know, even in our, even in today, uh, of the Holy Spirit as a form of power. Mm-hmm. I think many times we feel very weak <laughs> and to to if you have the holy spirit within you to think of that as a as a form of power that's i don't know that stirs something it makes me yeah. feel convicted and it also makes me feel charged to go do something right. because i don't often think of it as a as a form of power within me but it really is and we'll talk about that more next week when we see the holy spirit uh, descend on pentecost but well, for we, Jesus to tell these these disciples that you'll be given this power, right. like that's it's real, right? It's, it's not, and, and he doesn't say you're going to feel power, right? <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't make say, you a po- right, you, right? You know, you're yeah. gonna, you're going to have power right. whether you feel it or not, right? And that's something that we see over and over again in the story of Acts, in Paul's letters, uh, in, in Peter's letters. This look, you need to consider things mm-hmm. differently than what your feelings do. Right. So. You know, Paul will say things like, you know, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. You have to choose to think that. That doesn't make it so. It is so because Christ said it so. It's, it is so because he died, took your sins, rose from the dead. And because you have trusted in that, now you have to change your thinking to consider yourself, to reckon yourself. Wait a minute. I am dead to this sin. I may not feel dead to this sin right now. I may not feel alive in Christ. I may not feel powerful uh, in the Holy Spirit. And yet, those things remain true regardless of my feelings. And sometimes we look at, you know, some of these stories and we're like, well, you know, I need the Holy Spirit to fill me like like he did here. Well, he is filling you the same way. Mm -hmm. But the difference between him coming on them and dwelling, and again, I don't want to get too far into what we're going to deal with in the future, but... The difference between him immersing them and dwelling with them, which has happened with every believer. If you, if, if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not in Christ. We are, we are all in this power of the Holy Spirit. The question of whether he's filling us has to do with whether we are actually listening, whether we're under his influence. And, and the comparison to drunkenness comes up even in chapter 2. Just like somebody might be under the influence of alcohol, when we are being filled by the Holy Spirit, means we're allowing the Holy Spirit to influence us. He can be in us, and we can ignore him. Mm-hmm. 
then we're not being filled, but he still lives in us. He hasn't left. The Holy Spirit hasn't gone away. It's us not responding. So even before the Holy Spirit empowers them, here in chapter 1, they're like, okay, we, we know that he we, we walked with him through life. We saw him die. We went through all of the passion and the suffering. We, we know that he rose. We saw him. We talked to him. We, we actually know him. My mind keeps going back to Buddy the Elf, you know, coming to New York, but knowing that the North Pole is the North Pole, knowing that Santa is real, it, it, nothing will sway him. Right. He may have a hard time. He feels out of place. He's completely rejected. Him, right? But he not. knows, and right. nothing can change that. And that same thing happens here in the book of Acts. So they know it. They get it. They saw it. They saw him go up into heaven. So they, because they had seen it, they believed what Jesus said. When he said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, they took that as truth because he's Jesus. We know how that goes. So when Jesus, who tells the truth and has all authority, says to them, wait in Jerusalem, we better get going to Jerusalem. When Jesus, who said to them, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, okay, we're going to trust that. We're going to sit here, we're going to pray, we're going to trust that God's going to guide us, and we're going to get ready. And when he said, you're going to be my witnesses, Let's get prepared to go be witnesses. And then immediately, that's what happens. As soon as they're released to do it, you know, they're they're revving up at the, at the stoplight, it turns green and they're off to the races. So, <clears throat> which is not legal in a car, but it's great with evangelism. So uh, as they're as they're doing this, they're, the same response that they had is the same response that we saw uh, Sunday, I, I, I read Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. It's the same kind of response that that Isaiah had after receiving this vision of the Lord, and he encounters God, and he gets a full grasp of the majesty and holiness of God, and he's undone by his mm -hmm. sinfulness. But God's mercy, God's grace to him, takes away his sin through the act of this angel bringing a live coal from the altar and touching his lips with it. It says, see, your sin's been removed. And his immediate reaction is, Send me. Let me go tell the world. Let me go specifically for, specifically for him. Let me go tell your people Israel what your message is. Let me be your spokesperson because I've seen you, I know you, and I, I love you, and I can't imagine not being uh, completely consumed with living for you. That's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. In fact, that's what we see every time somebody has a real personal encounter with the living Lord. So they're changed by it. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean they don't stumble. Moses, Moses talked to God as face-to-face, -face, as a friend. Uh, that, it's astonishing to think about. But Moses had this very unique relationship and yet still lost faith at times. It, it still stumbled and fell. Still uh, went off on his own strength enough that he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. So we need to throw away the idea of this Christian perfection. That, that's not biblical. Uh, that's not, people will cite First John, that's not what John is talking about. He's talking about the, the preponderance of sin, the pattern of sin in our lives. If that's still who we are, that defines us, and we're good with that. You know, we're all going to stumble. In fact, he says we all sin. Paul says we all sin. We, we constantly see this. But if we're okay with that sin, if that, feels, if that sin feels at home in us, then we are not his. We don't have that. When we're miserable over that sin, and ready to take action to execute that sin. And when I say execute, I mean put to death, not carry it out. When we, when we respond in obedience, that is the definition of responding in faith. We believe, therefore we act. If we say we believe, but we don't truly believe, then we'll talk about it, 
but we won't act. We won't change. So we need to, to recognize that before, as you said, before the Holy Spirit comes, they still have the opportunity to obey. So they saw the, you know, they talked about Judas and the, the ugliness of that, but they didn't get stuck in it. They didn't stick around and, you know, lick their wounds and say, oh man, well, you know, if only Judas hadn't betrayed us, the Lord would still be with us right now. This is such a terrible thing. Woe is me. They didn't do that. Hey, Judas happened. Let's get to work. That, that, the whole attitude is, let's get to work. We can't go yet. He told us to wait. So let's prepare. Let's, let's be prepared for what he has for us and, and get things in place. There's the clear evidence, and we'll see it again in chapter 2 as Peter gives this great sermon, that there's a knowledge of the Scripture. There's a connecting of the dots now that perhaps didn't happen before. They knew the Scriptures before, but they hadn't connected the Old Testament reality to the New Testament reality, and now they do. So Peter uh, refers to a couple of different Psalms where, where David's talking about his enemies and relates that to Judas, that David's actually, unknowing, unbeknownst to him, he doesn't know that he's doing this, but the Holy Spirit through David is talking about Judas, mm. uh, which I wouldn't know if Peter didn't say it. Right. And then in uh, in chapter 2, he, talks, he uh, makes the argument that Christ is the Messiah, quoting David again from the Psalms, uh, talking about, you know, the Lord won't let us... Uh, anointed one seed decay uh, and you know ascending on high and stuff and he's like David didn't do that but by the Holy Spirit he was talking about the Messiah guess what Jesus did do that he is the one that God chose you crucified him but but this is how it works so they knew the scriptures and they applied them looking through the scriptures into the situation they applied them that way that's a good uh, good thing for us to recognize too if we're going to be renewed if we're going to live for Christ that we need to get in the word and we need to take hold of it and make it ours. I was just going to say, because, you know, it'd be easy to argue, well, that, of course, these guys, you know, they did, they followed whatever Jesus said because they actually saw, they saw him ascend. They saw all of this. So, yeah, of course, if you see all that, it's going to be easier to believe without a doubt whatever this guy says. Right. But it's, it's beyond that. And, and Truth be told, we've seen what he's done too because right. we get into the scriptures. We have, as as uh, the New Testament says, we have this mystery made plain. It's made more. We clear even to have us. it easier than they do, right? Yeah. Because it's all laid it's, out there and explained. They didn't. Ha- they had to walk through this, right? They didn't have the explanation. And I'm sure there were times where they were scratching their. Heads. And a lot of times, we you know we were like, well, if God would just explain, well, right? He, he did. You just didn't read it, or give me a he, sign, here, or whatever. Here's your instruction. I'm, right. I'm going to give you the instruction book. And we're going to leave it on the shelf. Right. You know, when we were dealing with our technical stuff before we started the podcast today, trying to figure out some of the equipment, and I'm, I'm like, well, who needs the instruction book? We know how to do this. Well, sometimes that's easy. If you're plugging in a cable, you plug in a cable. That's your Tim Allen. <laughs> but when you're trying to figure out how to work a multi-track recording device, you probably want to read the manual. Yeah. Life is a lot more complicated. So... If we're going to deal with this complicated life that we have to walk through, then we might want to read the instruction manual that he gave us. You know, and the Bible's been referred to uh, with, as an acronym, the uh, basic instructions before leaving Earth. That's a pretty good take on it. it might might seem a little cheesy, a little corny, but man, that's if that's so what it right. takes to keep it in your head. That's then, exactly yeah. what it is, man. That that's the power is to be able to recognize that this is not just instructions for this life. It is. But it's instruction for real life, mm-hmm. for for the life that lasts beyond the grave. And I think that's also, just a little side note, I think that's where so many churches 
so-called today, uh, get off track is we want to make church palatable mm. in this temporal life. So we want to, you know, we want to say, oh, we have open hearts, open minds, open doors. Well, what we really have is open graves. We're, we're trying to make people comfortable in their sin so that we can feel good in this life. That's not what the scripture tells us. That's not what the scripture is for. It's to give us real life so that we can not just feel good about ourselves and have self-esteem, but so that we can actually be on board with reality and we can align ourselves with the truth of God's word, the truth of how things actually are rather than how they might seem or how we might wish they were. And it feels like we're getting further and further away from that because it doesn't feel as good. Right. You know, and, and <laughs> Or it's not even as easy to talk about with certain people or in certain audiences or whatever. Even aside from unbelievers, for us as disciples. Right, that's we, what I'm talking about. Yeah, we often, you know, and I, when you said it, I was thinking of unbelievers and, and folks trying to reach out to, you know, whatever. We want people to feel comfortable in the LGBT community or whatever else. Man, I want every gay person right, in our right. community to come to real life. Right. I, I want you to be here. But not so that I can tell you everything is okay. Right. I'm okay. You're okay. You're not okay. You are going but, to die but in you your sin. you and I aren't okay either. You know, that's the The thing. only like, reason that we are okay right. now is because Christ has, has taken us out of that. Right. We used to be darkness, and now we're light in the Lord. I think a lot of people so we have think to live that right. like that. But that doesn't mean that there's anything in you or in me that's better than anybody right. else. And I think that's often misconstrued, like that it has to be one extreme or the other. So if you're a beggar and you found bread and you don't tell other beggars where to find that bread, you're a horrible person. It's like Aladdin in the beginning of the movie where he gets that loaf of bread and he steals it and he's getting chased all around the city. And then he gives it, and then he gives it to these little yeah. kids. Okay. Right. So and, and, and that's what you do. But if I... If I steal that bread, I just to, got Disney to, Plus. To, <laughs> to stick with your Disney Plus example, if if I'm Aladdin and I get that bread and I see this starving kid, and rather than giving him real bread, I give him some fake bread that looks like bread that'll fill his belly, but actually is poisonous and isn't going to, to heal him. That it's, it's not gonna, not going to feed him. Right. Then that's. That's not loving. Now we're not looking at Aladdin as a compassionate, kind person. Look him as the villain. He is the villain. Well, that's what we're doing when we try to take things that are not scripture and we try to make people feel good. We want to. We just want to fill your belly with fake bread. We want to give you stuff and tell you God likes you just the way you are. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God, God loves so much that He gave His Son Jesus. That's the demonstration of God's love, that he sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners. The demonstration of God's love is not that he ignores, because he wouldn't be holy. God is love, but he is also holy. So what we see throughout the rest of the book and what we see in their response is they want to reflect who Jesus is. And because they've come to a place now where they grasp the reality of Christ, living for Christ is the natural outflow of that. And the more we get it, the more natural it is to trust him. When we know him, we trust him. And if we don't trust him, then either our hearts are hard and we've rejected him, or if we want to trust him, but we have a hard time trusting him, it's because we just don't know him well enough. We haven't learned enough to be able to do that. That happened with them throughout the Gospels. They trust, but they don't trust. They trust, but they don't trust. So there's we're almost there, but we're not quite and there. A lot of and that now is... they get it. Right. And it it's like, okay. The, we're, we've taken the, the governor off the engine. We're going. Let, let's just go. We're going to go get this done. 
And that's that's the eagerness that comes with knowing him. I think a lot of that is we're putting God on the same level at times as we do other people because it's so very true. We're, we're, it's so easy to be kind of jaded and uh, uh, not trust people yeah. because you know everybody's reason. everybody's been burned at yeah. some point in their life because we're all sinners, right? And if you think you haven't burned other people, you're not observing right. yourself accurately. Right. So it's easy to try to put God on that same plane because it's all we really can understand. Yeah. Um, so I, I I get why some people have a hard time with that. I've had a hard time sure. with it plenty of times. I still do sometimes. Uh, but yeah. I don't think, and maybe there's something I'm not seeing, but as we're sitting here talking, and I think I've had this conversation with a number of folks at the church, I don't think it's possible for us to get to that place of trusting until we go through that place of doubting until we get through that area of uh, you know i really have a hard time with believing this until we go walk through that valley we don't know what it means to be able to trust you said on something you said this before it's not a blind faith right you know it's not just okay yeah it's it's a tested faith (laughs) and 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 it has to be and that's all god's ever called us to is i'm here i've proven myself from before you were ever around i created all this so you have reason to trust me. Right. That it's pretty simple. There are things in everybody's life, and I know this just because I just went through one, <laughs> that I feel like when you look back on them, you realize that there is no way, no way you could have um, you could have gotten through that on your own. Yeah. And whether you realized it or recognized it when you were going through it or not, that's one thing. But looking back on it. Shoot! Looking back on it, um, don't fight the emotions. You re- looking back on it, Can't you fight this feeling. Um, you realize that you couldn't have gotten through it yeah. on your own, right. and um, so that's that. Like what you were just saying, I think you have to go through those those struggles and those difficulties to. Uh, Apparently, the radiator just the radiator is having a hard time um, to to find that to to have to develop that trust to strengthen that trust, and it's. It stinks because I know there are times in my life where I'll probably waver again with my trust sure. and my faith and whatever. And um, maybe even yet today, right? Maybe. Knows. I mean, but, my, but my check when, engine light just went on, so I'm really I'm like, Ugh. even even when we get fixated on that, then the fact that we're fixated on not failing means we're fixated on ourselves, right? Right. And, and what we see really throughout the Book of Acts is very little focus on how am I going to stop sinning? How am I going to fix this part? Right. It's I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just thinking about Jesus. And there are people dying out here. Mm-hmm. He is incredible and beautiful and precious. And I can't imagine people living and dying without him. So whatever else just doesn't matter anymore. Right. Whatever made me sad, it's not that it doesn't make me sad, but it can't hold on to me very long because Jesus is more precious than that. Jesus is more important, more real than these hurts that that are plaguing me. So why is it natural for the Christian to forgive? Because whatever terrible, horrible hurt we've gone through, and I'm I, I don't mean to make anything seem trite, or, or, no, right. or, or but the worst thing, the it, let your imagination run. Whatever thing you're you're saying, but what about this? Whatever that is, it still applies. Mm-hmm. The very worst thing in this life is negligible. It's insignificant in comparison to the great love of God in sending Jesus for us. It's insignificant in comparison to eternity because the worst thing that happened in this life will not will not matter once you die. Right. 
What will matter is, did you know Christ? What did you do about it? Are you, are you his or are you not? And all the rest, every bit of our personal history, every bit of world history is taking us to that ultimate goal. And that's why it's important for us to always be, as we're working through the scriptures and, and as we're dealing with everyday stuff, to always be connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. Someone should make a podcast about that. It seems like a good plan. We will stop there for today. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks to our live streamers for uh, hanging with us, even though we were a little bit late. So we will catch you next time.